Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, howdy again. It is another Saturday. Harry Alexander at Bunker to France and Todd Roberts on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It's also better off when there was cowboys on TV and not COVID. Uh, Well, there you go. That that too. (laughs) Todd, how are you, sir? I am well, gentlemen. How are you both? We are uh, doing fine as well. Okay, now I got, I got, I think I got, uh, Doug, are you there? I am. I tried the other phone. Can you hear me now? We can hear you. I can hear you now. Okay, good. (laughs) How's Debbie? I'm she's, fine. She's fine, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna sit in, in the bed and listen and oh. hit while you do it. Oh that. talk. You can talk too. We'll let you talk. That's right. Always. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> too shy to talk. Oh uh, yeah. Our guest today is uh, storyteller extraordinaire Doug Hawking. He's uh, live in Sierra Vista. Well, in that area, at least. Hey, I wanted to tell you, I spoke to a friend of yours today, uh, Gerald Onhert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be... Very good friend. Yeah, we're going to be doing a, a show with him uh, next month on uh, the Butterfield uh, stage routes and such. Better not lay a and finger on my butter, Butterfield <laughs> stage. Anywho. Nobody knows the Butterfield better than he. I, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Uh, he happened to be looking over the website today and uh, gave me a ring and started telling me about it and said, hey, let's have you on the show. And Amen. Okay, there we go. So um, let's see. Doug Hawking, how, you know, you, you've got, you're a member of Western Writers of America. You are, uh, have won numerous awards. You're an award-winning speaker. Specker. On, on all kinds of uh, topics related to the West. Uh, certainly um, one of your more famous or infamous books is yeah. uh, The Baskin Affair. Yeah, um, Tom Jeffords. Uh, Tom and, and, and the biography of Tom <laughs> Jeffords. Yeah. Um, and he's also a friend of the show. He is. Oh, and the dog's on the show. And the dog's with us as well. Boy, you can't. I apologize, gentlemen. Oh, that's. uh, Uh, Ella Ella does not understand decorum, timing, or theater. Well, that's. Hey, we do not discriminate against pooches. Pooches are (laughs) are an important part of the West. Thank you. Yeah, Ella. Thank you. Say hey, Ella. Uh, Say hey to Ella for us. Give her her a doggy bone. So, where do we want to start? Uh, What's been going on with you, Doug? Oh, I don't. We're we're just back from the People's Republic of Hawaii. <laughs> Aloha, oh, Aloha, <okay>. Nui. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mili Kaliki Maka. <laughs> we had to take a COVID test to go. Oh boy! But we can only get it from one of their trusted partners. Huh. <laughs> yeah, one hundred and fifty dollars. Do you think a <laughs> A kickback was involved? Um, I'm wondering. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What a record. Boy, oh boy. And then when we got there, we found out that we had to go into 14-day quarantine anyway. (laughs) Oh, so that means you stayed in the room for 14 days, huh? That's it. (laughs) And and when you got back to Arizona, uh, did you have to quarantine again? No, no. Fortunately, Arizona has not gone that route. Yeah, we don't do no stinking quarantine. Well, we we don't. We, well, I'm not even going to go into it because my <laughs> my views on this are totally off base. And uh, no, I'm 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 on I'm on board with you. Yeah. It anyway. Well, I, I, I was proud to see the Arizona. Mm-hmm. Naturally, I had to go there. Yes, of course. And what's nice is that. Anchored right nearby is the Big Mo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've got the beginning and the end of World War II. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I was stationed there on North Island for almost two full years. And I'll tell you, you're better off on board ship. You get to shore more often. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. Oh, yeah, well, the Liberty Launch, you know, if you wanted to go into, it, the only place you could go is if you went, you went to go over to Pearl Harbor, which is a wonderful place to visit, or if you wanted to go to Waikiki or uh, Honolulu, 
you had to you had to catch a bus, and it was about an hour trip each way, and you had to be back before midnight because if you was late, you ended up sleeping on the dock until six a.m. the next morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I've, I've been through some of that. Anyway, I came back with a Hawaiian cowboy shirt. Oh, <laughs> I did not know there was such a thing. Has it got panioli on the back of it or something? It, it's actually got flowers like in the lay, but it's snap button. <laughs> is, 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 is it cowboy tailored? It certainly is. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> I can't wait to see you in that shirt, Doug. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll have to send you a photograph. I'm jealous. I found a Western store in Waikiki in the big mall there, the big huge shopping center there. It's like three levels, and it was all cowboy. Wow. All cowboy and Indian uh, from, you know, uh, leather purses with fringe jackets and so on. But they had a section of T-shirts of cowboy T-shirts. Like with all one with all the Paniolo different Paniolo brands, oh. um, and another one with uh, a, a, a kind of a portrait, a painting of a Paniolo cowboy with his hat and his shirt and his scarf, and he's playing a ukulele and <laughs> just a fabulous story. And I come back and I come back and my family sees me and they're like, "Where have you been?" I, I started showing them everything and they go, "You know, Todd, it's kind of sick." That no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you find cowboys. Well, yeah. What is that? And I said, well, you guys are the one is this is your loss, not mine. <laughs> you guys need to get hip. So, hey, that's as far west as you can be in the U.S. and still be cowboy. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, so and, go. and thank God for King Kamehameha. Yeah. Who is the original King Kamehameha? Who in six eighteen forty two eighteen forty two wrote a letter to the King of Spain and said, "I will pay you to ship me some of your best caballeros to come out here and teach my Hawaiian uh, men." How to become caballeros, and that's where the paniolo came from. And also, they taught him how to play slack string, slack string guitar, because they didn't that's teach right. him how to. They didn't teach him how to tune. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a cowboy Hawaii story for you. When I was stationed out there on the windward side of the island of of of, uh, of uh, Oahu, is a little town called Saddle City. And that's just exactly what it is. It's just a little western town there. But on weekends, they have rodeos. And the family that uh, run the, ran it, they had, they had a ranch over on the Big Island. And all of the bucking stock, roping stock, all came from the Big Island. And they had one mare in particular uh, that they used to do exhibition rides on because mm-hmm. uh, she'd buck everybody off. But what they would do, and this is what was so unique, she was born with one eye. The other eye was haired over, so wow. it just looks, it looks strange. But uh, at the start of the, uh, uh, the Saddle Bronc event, uh, the, oh, the old boy that, that uh, ran it, he would open up the buck chute, and she'd be standing there with his three little daughters on her back. <laughs> and he would lead her out around the arena, <laughs> nice. lead her back and off. And then, and then later on when they exi- did the exhibition, Oh man, with with the cowboy on the back, she was she was just, just awesome. She was a steamboat of Hawaii. Is that when you uh, read a rode a bull? No, that was up in Point Wanimi. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I the I, other thing they do in Hawaii is they have polo grounds. Yeah, yeah. I I couldn't believe it. I, I saw three or four of them on, on Oahu alone. You ever hmm. see them out there so, playing polo on surfboards? Jeez. No. (laughs) That's like Frisbee golf, I think. I I learned that there there is a church of Jesus Christ, the first surfer. Oh, yeah. He walked on waves. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yes, there is. Think about that. Uh, No kidding. (laughs) Well, that's not a Navy joke, is it? Walking on waves? No, no. Okay. No. Well, I I build uh, uh, Hawking as a storyteller extraordinaire, and but by the way, uh, you replied to your fa- to my Facebook post 
with you uh, being on the show saying you know that guy. How well do you know him? Do you really know him? Can you prove it? <laughs> Can I prove? No, probably not. He'll never admit it. <laughs> you know, smart man. Anyway, <laughs> one of the stories that I want to hear from you is, and you wrote this uh, in in uh, your blog about uh, Jeffords arrested by Billy the Kid near the Bruncow Mine in Arizona. What? Oh, that was John Jeffords, uh, Tom's brother. And the uh, Bruncow Mine, the Bruncow Cabin, is supposed to be Arizona's murder house. Uh, <laughs> supposedly outlaws hung out there near Charleston mm -hmm. and divided up the loot and got ready to go into town and raid. Uh, 27 murders, they claim. Wow. I can only account for six. Hmm. But during most of the time the murders were supposed to be taking place, the mine belonged to Tom Jeffords. And he had Brother John out there guarding. Mm -hmm. John's friends came by and said, hey, let's get on down to Charleston. They went down there and got roaring drunk. No. <laughs> and they went to one of the hotels and demanded dinner. And no. the hotelier said, it is after the dinner hour. Hmm. No. So they started cussing. Oh. And the hotelier says, hey, there are ladies present. Would you be kind enough to leave? Mm -hmm. At which point, John pulls his pistol and starts firing. And he, uh, he didn't know which one of the four to aim at. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was seeing double and triple by that time. <laughs> the hotelier pulls a shotgun from under the desk and shoots John in the head. He staggers outside, and uh, Justice Barnett, uh, the famous justice from Charleston, recruits Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid Claiborne, the fellow who ran away at the OK Corral, mm -hmm. to help him arrest John, who's now wounded. And they take him into custody, and the newspaper says, Wounded in the head, not expected to live. <laughs> Two days later, the paper comes out and says, He's up and around and feeling much better. <laughs> yeah, times never change, do they? When That's it comes a cowboy to migraine, if there ever was one. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, well, what a story! You get arrested by Billy the Kid. Wow, that's so, cool. Especially the one who who. Flew. Well, I was looking. I was looking at your at your uh, rap sheet here, and it was saying some of the things that you are technical in. Tell us, uh, describe to us what ethnography is and what you did to be an ethnographer, and how do you ethnography? <laughs> okay. Remember, this is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up on the Hickory Apache Reservation, and I spent five years in Taiwan married to a Chinese girl and came back states, stateside and spent five more years in graduate school in social anthropology, the old name of which is ethnography, mm. the study of other cultures. Mm -hmm. Did you know Margaret Mead? Uh, I read a lot of Margaret Mead. I never got to meet her personally, though she was still alive at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. In fact, one of my friends who went to a national conference spoke of entering a bathroom uh, accidentally. The door wasn't locked. And Margaret was in the bathtub. And, uh, gosh, the famous French anthropologist was perched on the john. <laughs> This <laughs> is a family show. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. funny. That's well, I got funny. a question for you, Doug. It just popped in my head. I, I remember reading that you went to McCurdy Mission School. Is that right? Yes, it did. What years were you there? I was there 66, 65, maybe, to 68. Okay, because we, Rio Dosa High School football team, we played McCurdy Mission for state championship in in '57, is this another Dreyfus story? Is this another Dreyfus story? Yeah, no, we beat them. We beat <laughs> we beat those McCurdy McCurdyites. Uh, a good team, though. Like they were they were second oh, yeah. best in the state. Uh, McCurdy in those days. Well, McCurdians are still all over 
New Mexico in important positions, running just about everything one way or the other. Yeah, or the other. <laughs> so, <laughs> Doug, other, yeah. with you being an anthropologist, Anthropologist. <laughs> yes. You forget, don't forget, Bunker, don't laugh at my uh, dyslexia. Um, uh, did you ever read a book? This is completely off the subject, but it is about you. Did you ever read a book called or teach a book called The Forest People? Yes. It's been a long time, but yeah, I, I've read that. Well, tell us fascinating about it. study in, in cultures of uh, South American tribe of uh, natives in some of the darkest parts of all of Latin, of Latin American jungles. Uh, and I love the uh, I love how the uh, it, it however different they are, there are so many similarities to other cultures throughout the world. What I have learned is that in the end, once you understand the different tools, uh, their customs and culture tend to fall in place and be, in many ways, very similar. Yes. Uh, and, but it's it's still fun to study. Yes. Uh, On that yeah. subject, Doug, what would you say in your work and research and someone? In regards to Tom Jeffords, you know, we've all seen Broken Arrow. We've all seen the TV show Broken Arrow. We saw the film with Jimmy Stewart and Jeff Chandler as Cochise. What were the things that most glaringly you learned about either Cochise or Jeffords that you didn't know <laughs> that you found out or myths that, you, that were debunked through your research? Well, <clears throat> things about Jeffords. How do I put it? Movie's a great medium, but a movie can only get get across three or four major points, and you know just a couple of ideas, and they have their own way to express it. They have to express it visually. So to show that Jeffords was comfortable with the Apaches, uh, he takes Sonsia Ray as wife. Well, that didn't exactly happen. Uh, I hate to tell you what would have happened if he had. Uh, I know having dated Apache girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dangerous. Hey, let me tell you. I was Two years ago, I was up at uh, Fort Union, and it was Fort Union days, and they had invited the Hickory Apache tribe, and the tribal historian was there, and I was introduced to him, and he... He said, oh, yeah, you used to date my cousin. Oh, jeez. That was 50 years ago. Come on. <laughs> and she's still sharpening her knife. <laughs> uh, we got to do our first break here. Hang on, Doug. We're talking with uh, Western Writers of America author Doug Hawking, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We got to do our first commercial break here, and we'll be right back right after there. these important messages. Stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic Western movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander along with uh, Bunker de France. That's traveling music. And Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest is storyteller extraordinaire. That would be uh, Doug Hawking. And he's uh, live in Sierra Vista. I certainly hope so. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) So, Doug, was that the full answer to my, my questions? Or were there any other myths debunked or... The, the movie made the point by using Sun Ray that he was comfortable with the Apache, that he accepted them as, as human beings. And that was a big part of his friendship with Cochise, that he was able to understand the man as another human being. Um, you know, what's interesting, which I was going to say, you know, the, uh, the reason he was there to uh, get safe passage for his stage coaches, and history seems to well, overlook that. Uh, well, he, he actually, how do I put it, during the time that he was uh, working for the stage company, uh, I don't think any of the male writers have, uh, got held up. Uh, one or two of them eventually did want one stagecoach that Tom was on got attacked, uh, but somebody misunderstood. You know, during that period, Coach, he's killed 22 people, but they weren't all stage drivers. If they had been, they'd have lost their mail contract uh, in a hurry, yeah. and they'd never gotten anybody to drive a stage. So somebody misunderstood what he was saying, and we got that story. So he didn't ride into Cochise's camp to make the peace for the stagecoach. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he actually, right after the Camp Grant massacre, Cochise's people had come into Kenyatta, uh, Alamosa, uh, and were looking at settling at the reservation there. And uh, they needed to invite Cochise in. And he'd been away raiding in Mexico, and they needed somebody brave enough to go back and say, Hey, Coach, will you come in for a parley? Wow. You know, bear in mind, this is right after the Camp Grant massacre. Right. And the only guy they could find was uh, was Tom Jeffords. And he billed the only $300 for the service. Uh. That's cool. I've got another question here for you. This has to do with your technological abilities and skills as a historical archaeologist, which I think is pretty kind of neat, and your ventures up there at Fort Massachusetts. Oh, that, that was fun. I, I learned an awful lot. Uh, you know, looking at artifacts on the ground from that period, and seeing the broken pieces of things and what they look like and what people were using. Uh, you know, we found a, a wedding, well, a ring anyway, and nobody else had noticed it. It had been hammered out of a dime. Mm-hmm. And you could still see the figures on it. And uh, 
I'm, you know, historical archaeology, history, uh, ethnography, they, they all help in interpreting uh, the 19th century West, the frontier. Well, you know, it shows in your work, you know, like uh, the Bascom uh, tale, that, you know, just the the detail and the, you know, it's like, you know what they're eating, you know what they're writing, you know where they are, you know the land, you know the time time frames. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the old you are there approach to history. Hey, uh, anachronism. Things out of place in time. Right. Uh, you, you've seen it in the movies. Uh, I know you spot the saddles that in the old movies that shouldn't have been there because mm-hmm. that wasn't invented yet, and the guns that weren't invented yet. But John Wayne was always carrying an, an, an 1893 Winchester in movies set in the 1860s. Mm-hmm. With Is the, that about right? Yeah. Yeah, and with with the loop. Uh, lever on it, which I'm, I know that there was such a beast back then, but uh, it was a great anachronism even then. Loops were on yeah. uh, on some on some holsters. Um, on the Winchester. Oh, on the Winchester. The li- on the lever. Oh, okay. I, I thought yeah. you were talking the, about the holster. The rifleman, the rifleman style rifle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. big, big loop. Right. But again, as um, <clears throat> as I've said to many directors, or other people in the industry over the years, you know, John Wayne has, you know, uh, uh, made three pictures in a row, the same story in a row. Yeah. Uh, Rio Bravo, <laughs> El Dorado, and um, Real uh, Rio Lobo uh, with uh, Howard Hawks. And, uh, and me. Uh, people, you know, people say this or that, you know, why, how, why could you do that? But I, I've always asked that question to uh, different people and, for instance, John Milius once said something like, it's John Wayne. He yeah. can do whatever he wants. Mm. So he, he <laughs> the same thing. He carries a rifle that's out of place, but it's John Wayne. He can yeah. do whatever he wants. Yeah, and he hits Indians he has, with it. He never wore, you know, uh, the jeans that he wears, those beige jeans, they were custom made for him. Mm-hmm. He took a pair of his 501s in, the Western costume. He said, make me a dozen at a time of these in beige. He didn't want to wear jeans anymore. That was what he wore up until through the searchers. And then he changed with those Paramount films where he was wearing the beige Levi's. Well, he brought back the booger red jeans, you know, by doing that. Yeah. And booger reds, yeah. are, they're, you know, I'm surprised that they're not more popular because I've got a pair, you know, and, and it just looked great, you know, especially in a, on the screen. Why don't you wear them? Hmm? Why don't you wear them? Why don't I wear them? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not on the screen anymore. <laughs> it's only ah. for, only for the screen then. Yeah, it's just wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, you know the other thing too was it was kind of neat. Uh, your your uh, your article about Fort Massachusetts was the actual location of it. You guys are like around like nine thousand feet. Uh, Probably the, as you described it, probably one of the most miserable forts in the American West to, to serve duty at. Oh gosh, yes. I mean, they they abandoned it, uh, except for a team of four or five guys. Almost every winter, they just couldn't get supplies the ninety miles up from Taos uh, to keep them fed. The horses would starve to death. Uh, and so they, they just, you know, abandoned it during those months. I guess and, you know, they kept you using know, it as like a, like a, uh, I guess a way station when they were on, uh, on out on hunts and stuff. Well, it was kind of a necessary location. Eventually it was replaced with Fort Garland, uh, which is, you can still go see that, uh, 12 miles to the south. And a little lower elevation, um, a little warmer climate, uh, but both forts were in, important in controlling the Hickorya uh, and the and the Utes, and they were using uh, the passes in there to get to the plains, 
back and forth, and that was kind of what they wanted to control. You know, it's a, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the Utes because they don't get a lot of a lot of press in the history or the movies. And I remember reading about one of their last principal. I don't know if he was a war chief or what, but Posey, and one of the last uh, one of the last uprisings. What do you know about old Posey? Posey, I don't know much about. I know mostly the more eastern Utes, mm-hmm. the more eastern bands that were allied with the Hickorya. Uh, and, uh, phew. Uh, <laughs> do you know why Pueblo isn't the oldest city in Colorado? Be, oh, I think there was an uprising, if I remember right. Yeah, well, in, in the 1840s, a group of mountain men took their Tausanio wives, their wives from Taos, and the wives' families, and established a trading post at Pueblo that was known as oh, yeah. Pueblo. Uh, that was... They didn't do very well, and the mountain men soon left. And in 1854, the Utes had had enough of the governor of New Mexico and so on Christmas Day they attacked Pueblo and killed everyone all eight of them <laughs> all eight of them <laughs> <laughs> all eight of them <laughs> and Pueblo was abandoned hey if you were one of the and eight it, that's pretty yeah, that's right. pretty impressive <laughs> exactly it was pretty total if you were one of the eight <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great it, it was that's... abandoned for nine years and Denver got to be the first city yeah Mm. Wasn't Pueblo also a uh, a uh, prehistoric site for the for the you know the you know? Well, there were Hickorya settlements there. There might have been a um, a Pueblito from the 1680s. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, um, you know, it's fairly far out on the on the plains. Kind of open, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, right. let's, you know, one of the things that uh, your rap sheet tells, it tells us is that your principal interest in New Mexico territory was from the Mexican War up to the Civil War. Uh, could you kind of give us a timeline there? 1848 to, or 42 to 1860. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now more 1846, than 46. Carney uh, accepts the surrender of New Mexico without a fight. He makes all the New Mexican citizens. He then establishes Charles Bent as the governor. And he does all this without authority. Mm-hmm. The war's not over. There's no treaty yet. Uh <laughs> Yeah, in January, true. there's an uprising, and they killed Bent, and they hang the fellows involved in the uprising as traitors to the United States. Well, yeah. that's because uh, Carney made them citizens. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know that I, I, I'm, I'm almost ashamed of my uh, American compadres that you know our, our history in New Mexico and. And uh, Southern Colorado is just so rich and so full of you know great stories and events, and they just don't—they don't—they seem to get ignored, except for people like you. Yeah, and it, it's unfortunate. Uh, the graduate program that I went through in American history uh, sort of stopped at the Mississippi River. <laughs> yeah. And there's something west of I it. Understand uh-huh. They hardly considered anything west of it. Wow. And, yeah, and the reason was that they had built the course around um, the idea of how American society, American government had come into being. And what happened west of the river had fairly little impact. Yeah. It had a lot of impact on us and all the good stories yeah, around really. here. Well, you know, look look at you know the uh, the uh, Santa Fe Trail, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with its various different branches that were all in that territory. Hey, speaking of trails, I want to uh, when we come back from the break, I want to talk with Doug about 
his work in in uh, trails down in Cochise County. So with that, we're going to take a pause here and head down the commercial trail. Head down that commercial trail. Very good, Bunker. We'll be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. Stay tuned. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. Hi everyone, it's Susan McRae and welcome to Chaparral Roundup. As you know, I've postponed the March event to October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd so we can all relax, have a great time with great dinners, a great lunch at the White Stallion Ranch, Q&A panels, screenings of a couple of our favorite High Chaparral shows, the documentary of Kent McRae so we can honor him during his favorite reunion, And we have a great silent auction to benefit the Robert F. Hoy and Kiva Hoy charity at the Tucson Medical Center. If you're already registered for March, you're automatically registered for October. But if you're not, you better register by September 17th. I look forward to seeing you all, and so does Don, with his confessions of an acting cowboy. You'll have fun. See you in October. For the Chaparral Roundup at Lodge on the Desert in Tucson, Arizona. Billy, I've got a little present for you. A 25-cent piece I plugged at 20 yards. i got a little present for you, Pat. A nickel plugged at 30 yards. (laughs) (laughs) Now I've got to go out and ruin a nice, new, shiny 10-cent piece. (laughs) Good night, everybody. This is the Voices of the West. That clip was from the, uh, uh, I think, one of the better Billy the Kid movies. Uh, star, it's Billy the Kid starring Johnny Mac Brown, Wallace Beery. The best one. And uh, anyway, that's my take on it. That's Welcome my... back to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts. Our guest is Doug Hawking down in Sierra Avista. And uh, what I want to find out from you, Doug, is uh, you have been quite active on the Southern Trails, the chapter of the OCTA. What in the world is that all about? Yeah. (laughs) Well, we were formed sort of late, the Southern Trails chapter, up on the Oregon-California Trails Association. They have a state organization, uh, every state along the way, and some of them have two and three. Down here, we're everything from California to Arkansas. <laughs> we're looking at that southern trail uh, that 
you know, the now I-10 follows mm-hmm. uh, that was absolutely crucial to getting a railroad through, uh, that was crucial to getting the mail through with, with the Butterfield, and that uh, brought 50,000 49ers out to California. You know, mm-hmm. the reason for the Gadsden purchase. Uh, so the Southern Trail doesn't get nearly the attention that the Oregon-California Trail is, but consider that trail is closed in the winter, and we're open. Mm-hmm. A uh, year-round trail. No. Oh, yeah. like year-round that. trail, right. Yeah, you you can bring your uh, covered wagon and camp out along the way. And, there you go. Yeah. So this yeah. this is an extension of the uh, of the Oregon uh, California Trail Association. Then is that right? It's an extension of that association. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do that. Are, uh, are you guys going to do any uh, any of the trips like the Oregon Trail people do? You know, with the wagon trains and whatnot. Uh, we keep trying to get something organized, but our trail down here is a little broken up by private property. Mm. It's a shame. I can take you to places where you can still see uh, parts of the trail, uh, especially out west of Gila Bend. You know, um, that, that's that's something we should figure out some way of getting uh, involved with mm-hmm. to help promote that because I would love to, you know, uh, Candy Moulton's wrote, wrote yeah. a great book about uh, her trip on one of the, uh, on one of the Oregon trail uh, I think wagon cool. trips. I know. think it'd be cool to do that. I, that do, no, do no walking a, do for a me. remote on it. Yeah. No walk. I cannot walk. Uh, you I'd ride. have to ride. I would have to ride it. Just physically cannot Or we walk. could drag you along. <laughs> Put me in a triple A. <laughs> <laughs> Turn him across a horse. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Candy was involved in a film. I got it around here somewhere. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name. They took Pursuit of a Dream, Debbie says from the other room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they took a <laughs> they took a group of high school students. Mm-hmm and set them up with 19th century clothing and wagons. And they went across, uh, yeah, uh, Wyoming and Idaho on the trail. That is incredible. Well, you know, she, she said it, her, her experience on, the, uh, on that Oregon Trail trip, uh, I think she's done several of them, in fact, but it says it was, it was just... Uh, Helped her so much when she did the uh, Mormon cart book. Sure, yeah. uh, you know because understanding she, it. she she knew what it was like. She, to, she lived it to walk it. You yeah, know. she lived it. And those of us who served in the military uh, already know how it is to camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I didn't do much camping yeah, in the Navy. You're underwater. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Candy does that thing with the hand cooks. Yeah. Yeah. And the handboard companies, and they actually are set up. Uh, they have a company that rents those out, and people can push them across western Wyoming. Hmm. Uh, There's a vacation. And that, yeah, that's a vacation. <laughs> you consider that they talk these people into building these hand carts. Yeah. Yeah. That are nothing more than big wheelbarrows. Yeah. And you had to bring all your supplies, all your food, for the trail on the handcart. Mm-hmm. And your shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything. Because there was no place to shop along the way. No Circle K. No 7-Eleven. <laughs> Let's stop in and get a Slurpee here while we're in Kansas. That's why my wife would never have made a great pioneer, because there's no Circle Ks around. <laughs> Well, tell, tell tell us a little bit about the fur trade because that that played a very important part in our development of the West and definitely a very important part of of the development of northern New, New Mexico and Colorado. A, a bigger part than you might think, uh, because it's not just the mountain men. The mountain men. I, I've just started working on this. Uh, the mountain men start in eighteen twenty one. Because 
That was the year that the government decided that they would get out of the Indian trading business and issue licenses to trade with the Indians to private individuals. So the lieutenant governor of Missouri uh, recruits uh, a bunch of men to go out west to trade, and in fact, they're going out to trap. They're not supposed to trap. They can't get a license for that. But it turns out the Indians in that corner of the world don't want to do anything unless they can do it from horseback. <coughs> so they're not interested in trapping. Which brings us back to half mountain men are Delaware Indians. Some of them from Long Island. From Queens, wow. for goodness sakes. Wow. Yeah, no, seriously. And from Brooklyn. <laughs> the Canarsie Indians. You know, and the Rockaway Indians. That's Queens. And, and they're out west and they're the mountain men. And not only that, they're teaching the mountain men how to trap. Hmm. Because they've been doing it since the 1620s. Right. When the Dutch came in, you know, the whole fur trade goes way, way back. Uh, and Oh, once, with the French in Canada. With the French in Canada, you know. And then the Hudson's Bay Company, which yeah. owned everything west of the Great Lakes. And had their own army and their own their own civil government, um, and our push westward. We were trapping beaver on the east coast, and we exterminated them as we pushed westward, hmm. which is how we end up at the Rocky Mountains. And then, of course, the mountain men are there at the right time to uh, explore a land we didn't know. Uh, a lot of which. Technically, belong to Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, well, look at the guys that came out of it. That you know, that, that uh, the mountain men that scouted for Fremont and all of the other uh, excursions into the West, and you know, the mapping. You know, Lewis and Clark, even. Yeah. No, all, all of that. Yeah. And, and shoot, uh, Willis and Clark had Charbonneau with them, and what was Charbonneau? You know, he was a French trader that had been with Hudson's Bay Company, and he's showing him the way. Um, and he knew how to deal. He knew how to deal with the various uh, tribal peoples too. Yes, and the other thing is, and we we don't think about it. I grew up getting told that it was about beaver hats, and beaver hats came into style, and then they went out of style. Well, beaver felt had been valuable since the 1600s. Mm -hmm. uh, In the European it, trade. And, right. And prior to really World War II, when we developed all sorts of synthetic fabrics, we were reliant on the fur trade for, for skins and hides. Um, the buffalo hunters were after hides to drive the industrial revolution, they were making uh, drive belts, belts out of the hunters drive belts. because they were so tough. Mm -hmm. the yeah. One of the last uh, Buffalo industrial belts uh, was retired about two years ago. Wow. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. And you're talking about a 19th century hide that was still in use. Right, exactly, mm. exactly. Hey, we got to do our final break here. We're talking with Doug Hawking. Uh, he's down in Sierra Vista. Todd Roberts is with us. Uh, Bunker de France he is here. I'm Harry Alexander, and You're we're gonna. Here. I'm here too. We're <laughs> we're gonna be back with much more right after these uh, very important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. 
That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Back on Emil Franzi's The Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker de France, Todd Roberts. Our guest is Doug Hawking, and uh, we're into the final waning moments of the show. Doug, yes, you are the perfect Perfect. man to segue into this. This is a topic that has fascinated me for 60 years or more the penitentes. Oh, (laughs) the penitent ones. The ones who take on the wounds of Christ, uh, who used to crucify a man every Easter. Mm-hmm. Uh, northern New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody wanted to be a priest there. <laughs> and, yeah, so. the people were so poor, there was no money coming into the church. Mm. And all of the, uh, well, virtually all the Franciscans were paid for by the Spanish crown and were uh, sent to the Indians as missionaries. And the local people, the whole of New Mexico had two priests. So the people start their own men's club, the Penitentes, and they start writing their own hymns and they flagellate with whips and uh, they'll bind prickly pear cactus to themselves and like I said they would tie a man to a cross and raise him up on Easter for the day and most years he'd come down alive but not always Wow. Well, you know, and uh, 
Hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. When I was a kid, we used to scare each other with the penitente. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't want to go down near their marada, their their meeting hall, because mm-hmm. they come out and whip you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And you know, it, it's, yeah. it was so, what was you know what fascinated me was that you know because this goes back into the into the probably the 1700s, uh, but it wasn't just a village; it was. All the all of the little villages, and there were hundreds of little pueblocitos all over up there. And some of the stories get pretty gruesome. When you know, uh, when you, especially when, back when I was reading about them, you know, because some of them were sensationalized. But what a, they were sworn to each other as brothers, and they weren't always friendly toward outsiders. It's still true. So that in some towns, uh, visitors, um, you know, um, yeah, people on the trail would be known to kind of disappear yeah. or get robbed. Well, you know, it's like when they did the Milago Beanfield War, war up there at Trucas, they actually, there was a couple of the other little towns they wanted to shoot at, uh, which were kind of penitent, still penitente. And there still are, in fact, but they don't do the ceremonies. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but they, they told yeah. them, you guys, you know, you gringos aren't welcome up here. And, uh, and, cause, and, you know, and the thing is, people don't realize up in northern New Mexico, there's no Mexicans up there. They're all Spaniards. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them are Hasidic Jew Spaniards. Interesting and combination. Very, very proud of being Spaniards. And, yeah, the, the crypto or secret Jews hiding from the uh, the Inquisition, which for Spain is, is still going, what, in the 1840s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You still got the office of the Inquisition. Uh, so, yeah, that was the furthest corner of the empire, and that's where they went to hide. So, Doug, what are you working uh, on these days now? Plug time. Plug time. Oh, well... Just let me put in a plug here. I got my Museum of the Fur Trade Quarterly today. Yes. And the premier article is on the Hawking Night. Ah, yes, I saw the Facebook post on that. Oh, I haven't seen it. You have to print me a copy of that. So uh, tell us about that. No. (laughs) No. As sexy as it sounds, it's not my family name. It's made for cutting the tendons of the hawk of cattle to incapacitate. Right. <laughs> well, he, he posted but, hey, he, he posted on Facebook, Bowie has a knife after him. I could have a knife after me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if he, if he doesn't behave, behave himself, Debbie will make sure he has a knife <laughs> no, after him. No kidding. <laughs> Uh, so, any any new projects uh, that we can look forward to? Yeah, I'm working uh, right now uh, on a couple of things, uh, but uh, working on the railroad. Mm-hmm. Why don't you uh, stick with writing? <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the railroad robberies on the southern quarter, ah. and there are a bunch of them, and almost all of them. Tied back in uh, to Cochise County, one way or the other. Imagine that! Imagine <laughs> that! Uh, yeah, the old good old cowboys. <laughs> cowboys the never sleep. Get get hilariously funny at some point mm-hmm. if you have a sick enough sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> and that we do. Yeah. What was the last thing you you? you uh, yeah. What was the last thing you had published there, Doug? No. What was the last thing you've had published? The Jeffords. Well, no. Well, the last thing I had published was Terror on the Santa Fe Trail, Kit Carson and the Hickoria Apache. Yeah. The Hickoria closed the Santa Fe Trail three times uh, and then tried to get peace and and weren't allowed it. And during that time, Kit Carson was their enemy, their neighbor, their friend, their Indian agent. And finally, he led their last war party against the Comanche. No. 
Good old kid. All, All right. right. We're out of time, unfortunately. Oh, Doug, fudge. thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Doug. This is great. Appreciate it. Debbie, hi, and thank you. And next week, I don't know what we're doing next week. We'll find we'll, we'll find out we'll, next week. We'll tap dance <laughs> next week. Tap dancing in the West. Anyway, Todd, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. All right. Mr. Hawking, thank, thank you, sir, for you your friend. time. It was truly, truly informative. All right. Now, so that's it. Well, it's 78, 79, 79 and a half, <laughs> 79 and three quarters, adios. Song, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Fonzie's Voices of the West. 